Matthew writes, When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, dear saints, grace, peace, and mercy to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Yes, Jesus. Just who is he? Jesus. Now, this is the most important question in life that any human being will ever have to answer, whether you know that or not. And our Lord, he asks this, that very question in our gospel text that we get today. And the fact that he asks it not just once, but twice, it gives it its importance. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, there were many different ideas about who Jesus was, but none of them seemed to recognize Jesus' divine nature. The religious leaders of the day even believed the opposite, claiming Jesus' power, well, it must have been from the devil because he ate with sinners and did nothing for the good people and give them their due recognition. But he, in fact, challenged the religious establishments of the time. Some thought, well, he was just a great teacher or a perfect example for them to follow in their ways. That some of these things people say about Jesus today as well as what we experience. Yes, most people today believe that, yes, Jesus did exist, but there are many different ideas about his true identity. In our text today, Jesus asks the disciples, who do you say that I am? 
And I ask you to know that that very same question is presented here today for you as well. Who do you say that Jesus is? Peter, he answers, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, the other answers to this point, they had talked about a savior who was coming. But Peter, he saw Jesus as the savior who was right there with them in that present moment. You see, Peter, he looked at Jesus and he saw God standing before him. The living Lord who did become true man and would be the sacrifice to pay for the sins of the world and to defeat death by rising from it. Peter doesn't just believe things about Jesus. No, he trusts in Jesus as his saving Lord in that present moment. Who do you say that I am? Jesus is still asking that question today of you. Who do you say that I am? Because Jesus, he wants you to know who he is. The living Lord of your life. Do you understand the difference between believing things about Jesus and trusting in him as the Lord of your life now? Who do you say that I am? Jesus asks. Am I indeed the living Lord of your life? Or am I just some ancient dead guy whose body perished long ago in the Sands of Palestine. Jesus doesn't only call you to believe things about him, but to daily trust in him as your saving God. Because there is a difference between believing things about Jesus and trusting in Jesus as the ever present living Lord of every moment. Of your life. In Luther's explanation of the first commandment, you shall have no other gods, he speaks to this that we are to fear, love, and trust no other gods. And we are trust to trust in him above all things. And this is an important point. For not just the first commandment, but it is for all of the commandments. Because of how we regard the commandments as God's word for us and his will on our lives, then this will reveal that level of respect that we have for Jesus. I think that one of the biggest strengths that we have as Lutherans is our focus on God's grace. That there is nothing that you can do to make yourself right with God or earn his favor or his forgiveness. That he loves you 
unconditionally. And he has paid the price for your sins through Jesus Christ alone. There is nothing that you could do that would change his love for you except to deny it and deny him as your savior. Now that being said, probably one of the biggest weaknesses that we have as Lutherans is also our focus on grace alone. That is when grace is our only focus. And perhaps we read that there is nothing I could do that would change God's love for me as meaning, well, there's nothing that I need to do. And just perhaps we hear that God loves us unconditionally and has saved us by grace as meaning, well, it really doesn't matter how I live this life. But when we forget about God's law, we forget the specific ways in which we ourselves sin. We fall into the temptation of explaining away and rationalizing our own sins. Well, I was just having a bad day. (laughs) Or they deserved it. Or how about everyone else is doing it? Or we might even relabel our sins in more acceptable ways. For example, harmful gossip becomes, well, helpful information. And jokes that put others down, well, they're just a bit of fun. And those who take offense to this, well, they, they just need to lighten up chill out and we do this we do this ourselves even though in the eighth commandment God calls us to defend the reputation of our brothers and sisters our neighbors that we do not betray we do not betray them we don't slander them or hurt their reputations that we defend them that we speak well of them And we explain everything in the kindest of ways. Is that what you experience today in this world? Friends, when we lose our correct focus on the gospel by focusing only on the gospel, we can easily slip into the habit of justifying our own sinful thoughts. We do this with our words, with our deeds as well, by explaining how it, well, it doesn't really matter if we've broken God's commandments. And even say that, well, they don't apply to us in particular situations. As someone said to me recently, I know it's wrong, but I really wanted to say, well, you were doing so well, right up into that point where you said, But justifying ourselves. Because when we fall into this temptation, we risk thinking of Jesus as just, well, maybe a little bit 
better than John the Baptist or higher or Elijah or just a little bit more than one of the prophets. Because if we explain away our sin, we forget how desperately we need a Savior. The true Jesus' saving help for us. You see, we make ourselves our own saviors by justifying ourselves. Again, today, Jesus asks each of us, in effect, who am I in your life? Even though you call me Lord, am I really the Lord of your life? Those who do not only believe things about Jesus, but also trust in Jesus, they make that same confession of faith that Peter did. As he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You know in your hearts that Jesus is not only the savior of the world, but we go on to confess that he is my savior. He is the living God who became true man and he died on the cross to wash away my sins. A cleansing that we receive daily in our baptisms where we are united to this living Christ and also united to him in his death and his resurrection. He cleanses you from not just some, not just the worst, but he cleanses you from all of your sins. And his precious body and blood was the price paid to save you, to purchase you as his own. Now, Jesus, he's given authority to his church to forgive and to retain sins. Just as he says to Peter in our text today, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You see, Christ is not merely a historical figure like John the Baptist or Elijah or just another one of the prophets, but he is our living Lord, present to you, and he absolves you now. And Christ, Jesus Christ is the one making that proclamation, our living God. Just as when in I say it myself or any other called minister. He speaks these words of absolution to you by his authority. I therefore declare to you the entire forgiveness of all of your sins. It is truly your living Christ, that ever present Lord for you that is making that proclamation for you. And simultaneously, he makes that same declaration then when a family member or a friend confesses to you or you to them and you forgive them in Jesus' name. 
You don't just say, well, that's okay. No. You forgive them. And they forgive you. He has loosened in heaven what the Christian has loosed here on earth in this life. And that's why he says what is bound or loosed on earth will be bound or loosed in heaven. And this points to an even more precious reality of our living in Christ's presence. His proclamation of complete forgiveness for you. It's not just an announcement of some ancient historical fact that has happened. No. It is actually happening right now in the present. The word forgiveness, it means to send away, to dismiss, to depart from, to untie, to unbind. And that right there is what Jesus does for you in his absolution, in his meal of absolution, his holy communion. Because between last Sunday and this Sunday morning, well, you and I, we've sinned. We have. And we can't justify or rationalize or even relabel them because they are sins. And we need forgiven. Jesus has died to wash you clean and put you in blameless standing before his Father through his saving work on the cross. And now, through the absolution, he delivers your inheritance to you from the cross. To each of us, personally. He frees you from sin. He loosens the chains of sin and the cords of death from you. He cuts you free. And he sends your sin away. And it is forgotten. So that through the power of his gospel, you are free. You are free to love. You are free to serve God and your neighbor. And that truly is the freedom of a Christian. And on the last day, when we face our living Lord, well, I doubt any of us will wish that we had spent less time listening to Jesus. He has freed you to love and to serve God by hearing his word, by learning it. For he says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You have been freed to grow in the knowledge of God's will for your blessed and holy life so that you can live in his grace, in this grace, in the way that he intended. Dear saints, Jesus's question, well, it's still in present tense. Who do you say that I am? The one born of the virgin mother, the one who cured the sick and 
rid them of demons. The one who died on the cross for you. Yes, all of that is true. But Jesus was resurrected. Jesus is alive. He is our living God. And he is the Lord of your life today. He is present now to guide you and to lead you. And he is there to perhaps even make us a little less of ourselves and more like him. This. This. This understanding that we have, knowing this. That he is your Christ. He is the son of the living God. This is the rock on which the Lord has built his church. For he loves you today. He is with you today. And he forgives you today. He takes away your sins to fill you with the power of his endless life and the freedom that God has always wanted you to have. The freedom to be one. To be of one heart and of one mind with the Lord in heaven and on earth. The one whom even the gates of hell shall not prevail. For he has given you the keys. He has opened the gates. And he himself is indeed the door to everlasting life. And as the prayer that we had read so beautifully concludes, I think it's a perfect way for us to finish today. It says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever, our living God. Amen.